Father, we lift your name up. You are the conqueror of death. Not only do you conquer death, but, but you share your life-giving power with us through your love. Father, we praise you for your work. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it is good and it is different to be with you all this morning in this different kind of surrounding um, I wish I could be with each of you in your living rooms, but uh, I am glad to be here and able to share God's word with you this morning. Pardon me as I go and arrange things amidst all the mess up here. This morning, we are going to look at a story in John 11. I'd, I'd actually like to tell you this story that happens in John 11. So I encourage you to turn now to that place. And as you're going there, let me just ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we look to you. We thank you for your word. And I pray that as we look to your word this morning, you would use my words, Holy Spirit. You would speak to each of the men and women and kids listening to your message this morning. Speak to us, Spirit. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I hope you'll turn with me to John 11 and to hear this story about Jesus. As many of you know, at this point in Jesus's life, he is living an itinerant lifestyle, which means he is traveling most of the time. He's traveling in this region of Galilee a lot, and, and he's also traveling in this region of Judea. Uh, Galilee was to the north, and then there was this region of Samaria in between, and then Judea is to the south. When Jesus traveled around Galilee, it's likely that his home base of sorts was in Capernaum, where Peter and James and John had grown up and where they lived. When Jesus was traveling around Judea, it's likely that his home base was in a small town called Bethany, just a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem. And in that small town of Bethany, that's where the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus was. As you know from reading through scripture, Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a very close relationship with Jesus. Mary is mentioned in some very prominent places in every gospel account. And Lazarus was referred to as the one Jesus loved. He's really one of only two people that have that specific designation throughout Scripture. John is referred to as one Jesus loved. And Lazarus in this chapter is referred to as the one Jesus loved. So Jesus had a very close relationship with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So it's likely that Jesus is with his disciples, probably in Capernaum, up in Galilee, and they receive a message sent from Mary and Martha in Bethany. They receive a message. It would have taken the messenger perhaps two days to get there to where Jesus was. And he receives this message that Lazarus, his very close friend, is sick. So we Hear Jesus' response in verses 4 through 6. Jesus hears this and he says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so 
when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So one could ask two questions from this interesting response of Jesus. First, you might ask, why did he wait two days? This is a man who has shown he has the power to heal sick people. So why didn't he go and heal Lazarus from being sick? Why did he wait two more days? But then you could also ask the question on the other side, why did he go? Recently, the last time that Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was on, its, on the way to Bethany, last time they were in Jerusalem, Jesus' life was threatened. And surely the same thing is going to happen again the next time he's in Jerusalem. So going through Jerusalem is, is risking his life. So it makes sense that the disciples would say they would be surprised that Jesus wants to return to Jerusalem. They, then Jesus um, explains himself to the disciples. In verse 11, he says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. So, as we've walked through John, you know that Jesus speaks in metaphor a lot. And the disciples would have been familiar with that. Jesus says he is the light of the world, the living water, the bread of life, the gate, the good shepherd. Yet somehow this metaphor is, is getting by the disciples. They don't understand him. And they say, well, Jesus, if he's, if he's asleep, then he'll be fine. He'll wake up on his own. And then Jesus says, well, what I meant by that is he is dead. Lazarus is dead. And there's a few things that are confusing about this. One, two days ago, the message that Jesus received was that Lazarus was sick. So how does he know from 85 miles away that Lazarus is now dead? Does he know that Lazarus is dead? Furthermore, the disciples are wondering, they're thinking, well, but Jesus said when he heard this message, Jesus said himself that this would not end in death. But now Jesus believes that Lazarus is dead. And furthermore, Jesus just said he's going there to wake Lazarus up. So how do you wake up a dead person? The disciples are confused and they don't know what to make of Jesus' response and his words right now. And then this is interesting. Thomas responds in this way. In verse 16, he says, Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas doesn't understand everything that Jesus is saying, but Thomas is committed to following Jesus. Thomas is giving his allegiance to Jesus. To what extent have you given your allegiance to Jesus? Allegiance means even when we don't have all of our questions answered, even when things aren't going the way we'd prefer, we follow him. Even if it means dying to certain desires and preferences and comforts, we follow him. That's allegiance. There are times when, when I imagine we realize that, that we could be 
laughing at the joke that everyone else is laughing at. We could be spending money the way that everyone else is spending money. We could be investing further in our career rather than in our families or our loved ones. We could be pursuing our goals rather than loving our neighbor. But that's not following Jesus. When we believe Jesus, then we follow him. We give him our allegiance. We die to a lot of stuff that the world is running after. That's allegiance. That's why Thomas says to the disciples, let's also go with him so that even if we may die with him, that's allegiance. So they head out to Bethany, which is around 85 miles away from where they likely were in Capernaum. And when you do the math, I think about, okay, around four miles they might walk each hour for 10 hours over the course of two days, and they make that 85-mile trip. And as they're approaching Bethany, they're coming through Jerusalem, and they're just a mile and a half away from their destination after this long two-day walk. And they're, they're getting there, and, and they get this message from others in Jerusalem that Lazarus is dead and that he has been dead for four days. So again, you, you do some math and think, okay, if they waited two days, they got the message that he was sick, they waited two days, and then they traveled for two days, and now they hear that Lazarus has been dead for four days. So Lazarus was dead pretty much by the time that the message had been delivered to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. Interesting, though, that it seems if we look back that Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead. So they're, they're coming through Jerusalem, and it's been four days since Lazarus has died. And, and there's this custom or this, this belief, even kind of a superstition among many Jews, that, that for the first three days after someone's death, the soul kind of lingered around the body, hoping maybe to re-enter. It's not a biblical thing, but it's just something that many Jews had stumbled into believing. Um, but on the fourth day, nobody was thinking that it was any way possible for someone to be raised from the dead. On the fourth day, there's no hope. So we know it's on, uh, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Since Mary and Martha lived not very far from Jerusalem, then it, it makes sense that they had lots of friends in Jerusalem. Lots of friends would have been traveling back and forth from Jerusalem to Bethany to offer condolences to Mary and Martha. So that's probably what was going on. Some of those people that were traveling back and forth, they ran into Jesus and they're the ones that told Jesus that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Word gets, um, goes ahead of Jesus to Bethany um, and Mary and Martha hear that Jesus is approaching Bethany. He's almost there and Martha can't even wait for him to arrive. She, she gets up and she goes out and meets Jesus on the way before he even enters the village of Bethany. And Martha comes to Jesus and she expresses confusion and frustration and she expresses belief. We read in verses 21 uh, and following, Martha says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But you, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And there's a way in which this goes right over Martha's head. And she responds beautifully. She says, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha didn't understand everything Jesus was saying or doing, but she believed him. She was ready to follow wherever he went and whatever he said, she had given him her allegiance. So Martha goes away and she goes back to get Mary and tell Mary that Jesus is approaching. And again, she reaches Mary, and Mary heads out to meet Jesus, and and still Mary meets Jesus before he has even entered the village. So it's it's a custom at that time that people would, would mourn. They would kind of formally mourn for seven days after the death of a loved one. And, and they would recruit and even sometimes pay other mourners to come along and, and cry and wail and mourn with them. Just this way of um, giving expression to the feeling of sadness. So Mary is at her home and she's surrounded by these mourners that are crying and wailing along with her. And when Mary gets up to go see Jesus, to go meet Jesus, these mourners, they get up with her. They assume that she's going to the tomb. So they get up with her and they all in this this crowd, they all go out to meet Jesus together. So picture this overwhelming scene with me. Jesus and his disciples, um, it's, it's dusty and they're tired and they probably smell awful. They've traveled and walked 85 miles over the course of a couple days. They're approaching Bethany and they just want to get to this home and take a load off and get a drink and probably wash their feet. They're exhausted and, and up comes Martha and then Mary crying about what happened to Lazarus and asking Jesus what's going on. And there's these people around that are crying and wailing. There's noise. It's chaotic. Picture this scene as Mary approaches Jesus. It's no wonder that we read in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. Deeply moved and troubled in spirit. The Greek word that is, the Greek verb that is translated here into deeply moved is is this interesting verb that actually carries with it the meaning of, of outrage and fury and anger. So this is interesting to picture. Jesus' emotion right now is he is deeply moved. He's troubled in that he's sad, but he's, he's deeply moved in his spirit. He's angry. He's furious. 
What is he angry about? And it, it takes a moment to just pause and to think deeply into what's going on. And I think about how Jesus is God in the flesh. God in the flesh who understands completely the, the significance and the brokenness of sin and pain. And he has in his scope as he is God, he knows the sin and pain and brokenness over the course of the span of human history. Jesus sees all this sin and brokenness and he's furious. He's furious with what, with what sin and death has done to his creation so it makes sense that he's outraged. He is mad at sin and death. I mean, we can think in our own understanding as we think about our own experience in our community, we think about the violence that goes on around in our own community, the, the child abuse and neglect the, the murder, the crime, the mistreatment of God's image bearers. We think of um, cheating and idolatry and, and materialism. We think of illness and loneliness. There is pain that sin and brokenness has caused. And Jesus, who, is, who created the universe, who has power over all of this, he is furious furious for the pain that death has caused. And in that moment, when you think about how can death stand up to the fury of the Son of God, death, death cannot stand up to that. I, I wonder if it's in this very moment, while Jesus is deeply moved, is that that moment is his, his being deeply moved. He's focused on the death of Lazarus. And does the death of that Lazarus in that moment just vanish? Is it in that moment that Lazarus, while he's laying there in his grave, all wrapped up, that his eyes pop open and that he is raised from the dead and he's looking around while still covered and wondering what is going on? I mean, it makes complete sense. Of course, Lazarus is raised from the dead because death, death doesn't have a chance against the fury of the Son of God, outraged at sin and death and its hold on a broken world. I mean, Jesus is still the, the compassionate friend who has come to bring compassion to his hurting friends. He's not throwing a temper tantrum in this moment, but, but he is a warrior who conquers death. He's not conquering all of death in this moment, and I'm not sure why, but he is showing, he's proving that he can conquer death. So Jesus, I imagine, with, with fire in his eyes, yet very calm, he says, where have you laid him? Notice Jesus changes his course. He's no longer headed to the home to take a load off, to get a drink, to relax a little bit. He's heading to the tomb. Any physical fatigue that he had been experiencing was probably now vanished with the adrenaline of strong emotion. He's headed to the tomb to greet the friend that he's probably just raised from the dead. We're told that Jesus wept and of course he wept. That's what happens when you're moved deeply by passionate emotion. People witnessing this scene, they're they don't know what to do. They don't know what's really going on with Jesus. They see his tears and they're perplexed. 
They're asking one another, couldn't this miracle worker had, have come earlier and saved Lazarus? They didn't understand how angry Jesus was with sin and death and its hold on this world. Jesus arrives at the tomb, and, and this tomb at that time, it would have been kind of a, a, a cut-out space in a rock wall, maybe a, a 10 to 15 square foot space where there was a bench and, and the body would be laid, and then there was a, a, a stone kind of on this rolling mechanism that would have rolled to cover the tomb. So Jesus gets to the tomb and he says, take the stone away. Martha says, Jesus, it, we, I mean, the odor, if we take the stone away, he's been dead for four days. I don't think that's a good idea. But Jesus instructs them to take the stone away. You know, at this moment, there's probably still all the crying and wailing and, and the noise is still going on. But I imagine as soon as the stone, someone starts to roll that stone away, everyone is completely silent and stares at this tomb four days after this man is dead, the stone being rolled away, and they're watching and wondering what in the world is going on. And then Jesus, we see in verses 43 through 40, um, well, I'll start in 41. Then Jesus, uh, he tells them to move the stone away, and then he prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When Jesus had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to the people around, he said, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Can you just imagine Lazarus comes out all wrapped up and Jesus, he's still furious at sin, but he's so happy to see his friend. And I, I imagine Jesus embracing Lazarus while he's still completely wrapped up in the burial cloths. He's embracing him. And the people around are thinking, you Jewish people, we don't touch dead people but he's not dead because he's walking and Jesus tells them to unwrap Lazarus and the people are trying to figure out, but can we touch him? Is that, that's going to make us unclean? But maybe not because he's walking. So they take off the cloths. Some, after seeing this incredible sight, they put their faith in Jesus. And some, they go to the Pharisees and they tell them what they saw. And the Pharisees have this discussion from verses 47 and 48. The Pharisees say to one another, what are we accomplishing? Here's a man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. They're worried about what it's going to cost them. Are you captivated by Jesus? and compelled to offer him your allegiance? Or do you decide not to follow him based on what following him could cost you? Jesus says, I am the living water. 
I am the son of the father. I am the bread of life. I am the eternal one, the light of the world, the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Have you committed to follow him? Have you given your allegiance to him? If you've not made this decision before to follow Jesus, to put your trust in him, to give your allegiance to him, I encourage you to do that. Talk to the Lord and tell him, admit to him that that you are a sinner in need of his grace. Tell him that you believe that Jesus, that he died on the cross and made a way for you to have peace with God the Father. Confess your sin to him. Commit to living for him and not yourself. If that's a decision that you are making today, I would love to hear about that. Please contact the church this week and and bring us in so we can celebrate with you. If you've made that decision before, but right now you, you think, I, you know, my allegiance to the Lord, perhaps I've been getting a little bit lazy. I encourage you to, wherever you are, follow him. I, I hope that, I pray that the trajectory of your life would, would turn to follow him more and more deeply, that you would give more and more allegiance to our God and Father. Let me pray and then we'll hear and sing together a song of response. Father, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you that you conquer death. May it be in response to your power, to your revelation of yourself, that we would give our allegiance to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.